Only on a Sunday, a podcast about more than church. Welcome to the Only on a Sunday podcast. My name is Kristen Lowry, and I'm joined by my husband, Daniel. Hola. Or Daniel Lowry, when I'm really frustrated. Anyway, this season... Um, when you're really frustrated, you don't do Daniel Lowry. Yes, like, I you do. Just, like, you go straight away from the name and say, get thee behind me, Satan. Oh, no. <laughs> this season, we are focusing on stories from the field, speaking with practitioners of mission and gospel movement in the world. Today, we have the privilege of Stuart Sutherland joining us. Stuart and his wife, Sarah, currently serve with Pioneering Initiatives, a tribe of Novo, as apostolic leaders in Shasta Lake, California. They have started two businesses, Heritage Coffee House and Heritage Roasting Company, which serves as vehicles for relationships. The Sutherlands believe the love of Jesus is best displayed in an integrated life, recognizing kingdom work is everything we put our hands to. They champion their community through economic development, leadership development, and micro churches. Stuart and Sarah have traveled globally teaching on specialty coffee for missional contexts. With two daughters, Natalie and Haley, the Sutherlands have been a family on mission called to serve with creativity and authenticity. The Sutherlands are also avid backpackers, always looking for another opportunity to explore and discover new outdoor places of beauty. Stuart, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. So far, you're my favorite guest because you're the only guest that's ever given me swag. So I've got a I've got a heritage uh, hat that my youngest daughter uh, stole, and yes. I've got some heritage coffee from you. So mm-hmm. I'm expecting after this podcast to get some more swag. So um, good. So I'm looking no. forward to. It. No, we're not. He's joking. <laughs> I'll have to send you some swag, but yeah, but so we are part of the same team. Uh, mm-hmm. pioneering initiatives. We met in Idaho and uh, super fun hanging out. And uh, then we got the chance. I think I probably got to know you a little more in Anaheim than than in Idaho for our little gathering down there. And uh, when we were talking about stories from the field, one of the first names that I brought up to Kristen is like, we got to get the Sutherlands because mm-hmm. they're doing coffee and coffee is so um, kind of popular you know, kind of the yeah, specialty it's coffee. Cool. Yeah, it's, it's it's like it's a cool way to bring Jesus, right? And totally then if Instagrammable. You guys, yeah, if you guys ever meet Stuart and Sarah, they are cool. Written all, yeah, they oh are just gosh. cool people, and they live in Shasta Lake, California, where there are no problems. Um, those are those are no. all down in Redding. Yep. <laughs> no, you guys are actually like being evacuated right now, aren't you? Uh, no, we're in the clear now. Uh, we have blue skies. But it is a frequent uh, experience for us. Yeah. Yeah, the fires. Yeah. So for those of you that are listening around the world, California fires, um, there's typically always one near (laughs) Shasta Lake. Mm. So it's it's always a bit of a challenge. But we kind of joke about it that it keeps the population down, which we're okay with. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but sorry, man. I've, I've never heard that. <laughs> that <was funny. laughs> uh, that's a good one. So based on funny, uh, we've asked all of our guests this season to share a funny kind of outreach mission story uh, mm-hmm. to kind of prove to everyone before we get started that you are in fact human. So do you have one that you can share with us? I do. This is one I've shared a lot just because it's ridiculous. When we first started 
serving in city of Shasta Lake. We'd open a coffee house. We were all super excited. And, you know, you'd never, you're never ready for the weird things that were going to happen. And for us, I think one of the first weird things, and this was probably the first weird thing that happened to us was city of Shasta Lake is kind of hilly. And so we had a um, little grocery mart across the street that's right across the street and a little bit uphill from us. And uh, a, a guy parks his car and he parks it without the e-brake on. And so he goes into the store to go do his shopping and his car is starting to move and is on trajectory to hit us in our building. And none of us saw it except for a customer. And this customer jumps up in the middle of the space and is like, oh my gosh. And we're all confused. She runs out the door and we see her run into the street, you know, and you're like, what is she doing? She jumps into this car, this unmanned vehicle, and she she pulls it to the side of the road and pulls the e-brake. And she comes back in. She's like, did you guys see that? We're like, yeah, we saw that. We're all clapping and applauding. And what was fun was... We, we, we all decided it was kind of this unspoken moment where we we're like, I wonder what that guy's going to think when he comes out of the store. So we just all kind of stopped and observed. And this guy comes out. He's super confused, can't find his car. So we're, we're flagging him down. And he comes and he's really upset. Like, what? You guys pranking me? And we're like, no, man, oh, no. you just forgot to put your e-brake on. You know, <laughs> after we figured that out, he was OK. But yeah, you know, so great. Unmanned vehicles coming to hit us. <laughs> so, so uh, is it goes without saying that that lady got free coffee for life? Is that yeah, or, no, serious? <laughs> she got like a hero badge. It was awesome. Right? Yeah, 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 right. Yeah. Wonder Woman. <laughs> yep. That's it, Kristen. We're gonna drive up to Shasta and forget the e-brake, and then you'll right. run out and save, and then we'll save get free coffee. Car. Okay. Yeah. That sounds that like sounds a good, good. plan. Right. <laughs> Stuart. Um, we're sharing season three and it's really interviewing practitioners, people that are, that are on the ground. Mm -hmm. They're making it happen. They're bringing gospel movement, whether that's from just like the beginning of beginnings or whether it's, uh, you know, a little bit more mature, wherever it is. And um, just really starting to share stories about what's happening. This isn't a, a theoretical podcast of like, what mission is according to Luke and all that. It's like, this is, this is the real deal happening. And so, you know, really having you guys with what you're doing up there is a great privilege for us, but I'd like to just start by trying to ask you a little bit about where'd you come from? You know, a little yeah. bit about your upbringing, who's Stuart, who's Sarah. So can you share that with our audience? Yeah, for sure. Sarah and I had a, we both grew up in a pretty conservative denomination and we that's kind of how we met was being part of that same denomination so we met at a church camp so even though she grew up in weaverville and i grew up in sacramento we met and it was one of those you know fun little church camp romances but i'd say like my heart was i grew up in the church i grew up with a passion for the lord and sarah had a, a really similar story and in fact there's just we both lived a pretty similar parallel um, experience just far away from each other. And in that, I would say we also both had a, a similar fear. We would pray, Jesus, you know, what do you want me to do? I'll do whatever you want me to do, but please don't make me a missionary in Africa. I just don't, I draw the line there. That's way too scary. That's for superheroes. You know, they come visit our church and you look at them, they bring like bows and arrows and pestles and mortars. And you're just like, 
this is like <laughs> National Geographic coming to visit. Uh-huh. And you're just like, no way could I be that awesome. Did you so, ever listen to that song growing up? Please don't send me to Africa. I, you know what? I probably could have written it, but I don't know that I've heard it. Okay. I'm going to, when we're done recording, I'm going to send you guys the link because you are going to die. It is oh, so funny. No. Okay. Keep telling your story. Sorry. So, no, I've, I've no. heard of people, I've, I've heard this story like, you know, people are scared to go to Africa, but I've never actually met anyone who owned up to that fear. So this is fabulous. I'm, <laughs> I'm super excited. Yeah. All right. So you don't want to go to Africa. Keep yeah. going. Yeah, and I don't know why it was Africa was a scary place. It just was like so wild and, you know, different from our, I don't know, our own lives. So I think there was definitely, I think, again, in a church camp experience when I was really young, I gave my life to Jesus. And um, a few years later at camp, there was just another great experience where I felt like, man, there's, there's something in there. There's something like I feel the Lord's calling me to more. And, you know, in my church experience, more meant you, you went into vocational ministry, you became a pastor. That was like, you know, if you, if you became pastor, then you were legitimately doing ministry. It was like the real thing. And then if you're a missionary, again, that was just so far out of reach, no way. And so I think I had lots of experience working um, as I got older with youth group and really loved that, became a leader in youth group. We would even do some... Uh, I was going to a, a church in downtown Sacramento and we would serve the youth, which was really unique. In fact, there was kind of a formative moment when I was serving with the youth pastor there. We had brought in kids off the street. So it's, you know, imagine a church that's in the middle of downtown Sacramento, but it's not actually reaching anybody. It's just the same people, you know, we kind of, there's the old cliche, the chosen frozen. It was that mm-hmm. group of people who, even as a kid, you could kind of, see like, wow, this is interesting. We're, we're not actually the people that live downtown. We're the people that commute into downtown to go to church, but we don't actually engage the people downtown. And so our youth pastor said, Hey, what if we, you know, this is before we use words like missional. He was just like a, we called it a service oriented kind of guy. And he, he would take us out and we befriended these two kids. Their names were Terry and Jerry twins. And they lived with their, their grandma and they were brilliant, but they were also like a super handful. And so my youth pastor kind of took them under his wing and we would hang out with them after school and they would come into the church and they were pretty rowdy. And this one moment they were kind of like high-fiving the signs, you know, the sign that's like fellowship hall and you know, all, the, all the different rooms in the church. And they knocked one of the signs off. And it was right in front of one of the elders of the church. And the elders just blew up, like mm. blew up to the point where he took it, not just in that moment saying, you guys need to stop that, but then said, you don't need to be in here. And then called the youth pastor side and said, look, you can't bring these kids in here. They're destroying the church. Mm. And, you know, you kind of think about the meaning of the word church in that moment. But mm-hmm. to me, that was a really significant moment because I saw how unjust the church was. I saw how we talked about this, the, the Jesus that I learned about in Sunday school. Mm-hmm. And then seeing that, that weird contradiction, that wasn't being Jesus to these kids. We were being Jesus to those kids. And that was interrupted because they're messy. Mm-hmm. And at that point, then they were no longer included. Mm-hmm. And I thought, man, this, there's something really wrong with that. So I think for that, that moment really prompted almost a prophetic angst in me that I never really let go of. 
And I'd say that journey continued into, um, I never really pursued ministry. When Sarah and I got married, I was just looking for a job. We got married super young. That's a whole other really long story. Basically, the the way that we started was when Natalie, my youngest daughter, Natalie, was at my high school graduation. Yeah. So in the year of 1999, Natalie was born in May. I graduated high school in June. I got a full-time job in July, and we were married in August. So we did everything totally backwards. I never really left a relationship with the Lord, just made bad decisions. But in that journey, I had to just find work to support a family. And um, so I took whatever I could find and ended up in a really great job, um, started in a print room of an architecture firm, and then they trained me up to be a draftsman and a project manager. And all that time, I was going to school full-time for a degree in a completely unrelated field. And so um, my, my life just kind of looked like a mess. It looked like all these different directions. I mean, I have, have a degree in organizational leadership. I have 12-year experience in architecture. Hmm. And then the year after I graduated from college, the Lord hit me with this really huge call. And I say call as in an experience, like the Lord came upon me in power and said, it's time for you to go onto the mission field. And part of that experience was connected to a trip that we took to Paraguay, which was a milestone for both Sarah and me because we had such a great fear for the mission field. And so um, I feel like the Lord kind of wooed us in the sense like we were very opposed to the mission field. And then after marriage and a few years of growing in the word, we found a home church. Uh, we had this opportunity to go to Paraguay and we both felt that kind of like, I think I need to go. Mm. And we independent of each other had that feeling. And so we talked to each other and, and we said, okay, it's time to go. And, and at the end of that trip, first of all, we loved the trip. We loved Latin America. We loved the people. We loved the missionaries we got to, to serve under. And those missionaries at the end of the trip called us aside and said, you guys have what it takes to be missionaries. Now you want to talk about re-entering that fear <laughs> of like, oh my gosh, no. Um, and then at least said, it's not Africa. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. well, okay, Latin America. You know. But but he's he stopped and he's like, but don't go unless the Lord calls you. And oh man, the relief. It was like, okay, the Lord didn't call us. Yes. <laughs> But we went home different. We went home changed and way more open. And I feel like that call that the Lord hit me with after I graduated college and having that experience in Paraguay, it was just such an amazing picture of how the Lord didn't force us into it, but really just continued to to lead us lovingly and at a pace that was the right pace for us. And so um, we said yes to that call. So that meant we were, we were running with a, a denomination that sent missionaries. So we, we ended up going through their track of becoming, there's an accreditation and a licensing process and more educations. And of course, you know, after you go through all that, you're supposed to get out of all debt and then you're supposed to have two years mm -hmm. of home service and then you get to go. Mm -hmm. And I think that process in a lot of ways was really comforting. It was like putting on a blanket going, okay, I know that I'm going to go through all this, all these requirements and come out the other side of really, really ready for this. But I think that more played into my fear and insecurity than it did into my call. And so we kind of went along on that journey. 
But we found ourselves kind of wandering in a desert a couple of years in, just felt like nobody was there to kind of lead us in that in that process. And uh, when I was in seminary, I was really in the middle of that when I connected with this crazy guy named Bill Randall. And <laughs> Bill knew exactly where I was. Hmm. He had walked many people through that process before. And it really was just in a friendship and in a just a, like an unhurried time with Bill that we were able to, Sarah and I both were able to just share like where we were at, what we were wrestling with. And he invited us to basically do our two years of home service at their church. And so we, we basically got the blessing of the church we were with to transition across town mm-hmm. and do some home service with, uh, with Bill and Jill Randall. And that's where things really shifted for us. And the big shift in that was we thought God was calling us overseas as missionaries. And in fact, uh, the denomination we ran with defined missions as a cross-cultural context, which meant Mm -hmm. generally, unless, you know, we were dealing with refugees, it meant you went overseas. It meant you left your your home country and went somewhere else. Mm -hmm. But in that journey with Bill and Jill, the Lord said, yes, I've called you to be missionaries, but I've called you to your backyard as missionaries. And that was pretty radical for us. That was like, man, we thought France, we thought, you know, postmodern country where we were going to serve. We knew coffee was kind of in the mix. It was almost like we weren't quite ready to do less. We were like kind of psyching ourselves up to like, okay, we're going to go overseas. We're going to sell everything. We really were ready for that. It was on the altar. Hmm. But at the end of it, the Lord's like, actually, I just want you to go over here. Hmm. Now, what we didn't realize is how difficult that was going to be. (laughs) (laughs) It's not any easier than France. Yeah. Yeah. Well, honey, I think you have a similar kind of story in terms of like that hierarchy of the missionaries Mm -hmm. and and stuff like that. Can you share a little bit about kind of like how that ties in without getting us in trouble? Yeah, I'm not sure if I have shared it before on a podcast, but yeah, I think it was very similar. So I was with a particular denomination that's closely related to the one you're talking about. And um, missionaries are definitely defined as overseas. And there is even a hierarchy within the missionaries of if you are in like, or at least, okay, this is the perception as a kid growing up in this, right? Mm -hmm. So the ones who are in the slums of India are like, you know, the, the, the light shines down upon them and they can do no wrong and they're amazing. And that was kind of like what you would aspire to growing up this way as a kid. I mean, I would say what the church I grew up in was so active in missions. And I mean, it wasn't every week, but we would just have missionary after missionary come through on furlough and speak and share pictures and have all the artifacts, you know. So I felt like that's in it. That's a good thing to just bring awareness to your kids about this is what you could do. But for sure, yes, missionaries are sent overseas. And if it's rough, like physically rough, and you have to sacrifice, that was the word, you have to sacrifice to be there, then you're even better. So yeah, so my, my call, I'll use air quotes, my call was to go to China, and to work with orphans, you know, that's what I really 
that's what I felt God calling me to do when I was a kid, not knowing all the things I know now, obviously. Yeah, but I think it really creates that, like in the mind of the local believer, missions is somewhere else. Like you yeah. said, Stuart, it's somewhere else. It's not yeah. my backyard. And really trying to turn people's mind is is uh, at times, you know, impossible, but definitely a wrestling. So that's kind of what was going on with you guys, I think, at the time was like kind of shifting, like what does ministry actually look like for us? Is that pretty accurate? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of going back to that story where I saw the disconnect between a church in an inner city like context and not reaching those people, you know. And it's it, it it was like the Lord was saying that angst that you felt in that moment. That's what I'm calling you to serve in, and that's mm. actually being a missionary. Yeah, that's beautiful. So you're with Bill and Jill Randall, and so if you're listening to this podcast, Bill and Jill are our team leaders in Pioneering Initiative. So you're with them at, uh, I think it was Christ the King. Was that the name of the church, right? Uh, Risen King. Risen, Risen King. Okay. Yep. And how did you get from that to Shasta and coffee? Like, what was that? <laughs> how did that go? <laughs> Jesus. I want to get to the uh, coffee, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, the coffee. Well, I actually, my first job at 13 was working in downtown Sacramento in a coffee cart. And this was a really fun experience. For one, I fell in love with coffee, but I think the other part was seeing how amazing it was in bringing people from different socioeconomic backgrounds into one space. Mentally ill people coming in, you know, shaking from who knows what they're withdrawing from. We had doctors who'd come in. We'd have, you know, just, you know, it didn't matter. It just was everyone. And really being a kid who grew up in the church, that was a unique experience. It was unique to run into so many different people in one place. And so that, that really was like interesting to me. I always loved coffee. I pursued coffee. I was trying to find different brew methods all the time. And ultimately, Sarah and I were on a date night. We sent our girls to Awanas so that you know, somebody else could teach them the Bible. And then, no, I'm joking. We, we, <laughs> Awanas, is, Awanas is pretty so rad. Yeah, they are. Our kids are in a one right now. Yeah. I like to call it like we outsource our sp- our children's spirituality. Right? Hey, <laughs> yeah, we we I'm gonna say we homeschool. We owned our part, but Awana's was like really nice. So yeah. um, yes. it usually <laughs> I was in school at that time, so I was studying. So it wasn't even like we had an awesome date night. But this one time, Sarah's like, "Let's go out." So we we went out on a date, and we went to this coffee shop that was roasting in the evening. And so I always wanted to learn roasting. And so I walked up to the guy there and it was actually a vineyard church that was using coffee as a, as a way to connect with their community. And the guy there said, oh, you want to learn a roast? I need a guy to roast. So uh, how about you meet me back here every week? And so he, he trained me on the roaster and I ended up being his, his backup coffee roaster. And it's kind of off. And in that process, I, you know, I graduated college. The Lord called me. We were with Risen King. Risen King had been investing in the city of Shasta Lake for many years, um, doing a lot of ministry with the, with the trailer parks that were around. And so they were invested. And at the same time, Bill Randall had a huge moment with the Lord up in, in a retreat. And the Lord just identified Shasta Lake as the next place Risen King really needed to focus on. And so all this was kind of happening outside of my knowledge. But uh, when we met Bill and we started running with Bill and Jill and they started pointing us to Shasta Lake, 
it became really clear that Shasta Lake was the place that the Lord had us. And coffee was always kind of something that we were going to bring with us because we saw that it did such an amazing job of inviting people into a safe place. And when we looked at the city of Shasta Lake, we saw a church presence, but not a healthy or thriving church presence. And we even started just prayer walking the city. We started talking to people, kind of an interview style. We even did a video where we interviewed people, but just asking them, you know, what do you, what do you think of the city? What do you think of the church? And um, it became really apparent that a coffee house was the way to go. For one, it was a poor community. There were no new businesses. There were no actual places for people just to be, no safe places for high schoolers. And so we thought, man, what a great way to be the church without being a church. You know, this was kind of the language we were using at the time because, again, we were wrestling with that tension of people identifying the institution or the building as a church. And we really wanted to identify people as a church. And so even though we were going to have a building and, and a space, that wasn't going to be a temple. That wasn't going to be a holy space. That was going to be a third place. It was going to be a connection point. And so that's really kind of, those were the ingredients. What was amazing is I kind of shared how I felt like my life was really spread out. It looked like I didn't know what I was doing. My background in architecture came into play to help do the design work and the building permit process for the building. I already had professional relationship with the city of Shasta Lake. So that was like in place. My background in organizational leadership had a focus, has a focus on how to run a business and a nonprofit. So all these things that felt like, man, someday when Stu grows up, he really knows what he's going to do. The Lord actually was in the middle of that and mm. pulled that all together in Shasta Lake. It was like Jill Randall had this vision of these strings going out in different directions and the, and the Lord grabbed them and pulled them all together and it became this one kind of continuous strand. And that's really what it felt like. Mm. Cool. So it's almost like God knew what he was doing. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Smarter than the yeah. rest of us. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that's really a that's really a key for people that are listening and considering mission and their own place in it is it's probably not a surprise, you know. If you just kind of connect the dots of what God has been doing in your life so far, it's it's probably right there. You don't need to go to Africa, although, you know, if you want please do. Yeah. So yeah, so you start Heritage. I don't know if you started the roasting or the coffee house first, but you you, you got both of them going. Mm -hmm. So share with us what's going on mission-wise. Like what does yeah. it look like right now? Mm -hmm. What fruit are you seeing? Just what's going on? Well, this will probably be really encouraging to everyone. To, when I say when we started, we didn't know what we were doing. And <laughs> it really is been a journey of experimentation and just trying new mm -hmm. and different things. Mm -hmm. We really wanted to de-emphasize church in the sense of people's kind of prejudice or, or stigma attached to the word church. And so we were very, very much relationally, relationship was the only way we were going to communicate our faith to people. Um, it wasn't going to be on the building. We weren't going to be playing Christian music in the coffee house. And in fact, I offended a lot of people when I told them that. They were like, not getting it. Like, what do you mean? Like, yeah. how are people going to know? You know, I'm like, I think this is somewhere in the Bible, like by our love. But, you know, that's me being snarky. Well, sorry. How did um, people evangelize yeah. before I, Hillsong? You know, I, before I, Chris Tomlin? Like, oh, if man. If you didn't play Sandy Patty in the coffee house, how would they yeah. know? Yeah. It's a Christian Sandy coffee Patty. house. 
Amy Grant. There's, if there's no <laughs> Bethel, I mean, come on. Is Yo, the spirit really Amy there? Grant. She got divorced. Sorry. <laughs> oh, that's right. I forgot. Cancel culture. Um, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna edit that part okay, out. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I think I, I offended people in the sense that it was not okay that we were very much in your face saying, Hey, we're Christians and mm-hmm. our heart was we want to know people, we want to hear their stories, we want to learn their names and move at that pace of relationship. And the only way we could do that is just do that. Don't don't make it about who we are or the program you can join or, right. and so that's really the first, I'd say almost five years we did that. We engaged the youth through um, something we call Hub, and found out really quick that when you start a program and you don't have relationships with kids and you want the kids to show up, it really doesn't work. And we also learned a lot just in our context how the kids were a lot of them are. There's something called an ACE score that the schools use, Adverse Childhood Experience. And these kids score exceptionally high, which is bad, on the mm-hmm. ACE score in our city, which is a, a theme, you know, that in poverty comes a lot of abuse and a lot of instability, broken up families. A lot of kids' parents are incarcerated. Some of these kids sleep on different sofas every night, so they're, I mean, effectively homeless. So why would they trust us without relationship? Why would they come to this event that we create? No way. And so we learned a lot of just through failure. We learned a lot of like what not to do. But I am happy to say that as we, as we did that, we also were building relationships with people. And so there was that five years of just kind of investing in relationships first. And this in the last couple of years, COVID was actually really good for us because it gave us an opportunity to have, well, we had the car fire in 2018, which really allowed us to minister to the city. When the city was evacuated, our team was still here serving people, helping people get food into their refrigerators after the power was out for several days and praying with people who were going through just trauma. But also um, during COVID is kind of a similar thing where we were able to just remain open and operating and serving the city praying with people who were just scared. In that, we became more bold. And I think that boldness also came with a transition from the denomination we were running with in 2020. We, we transitioned to Novo and under Bill and Jill's leadership once again, which was exciting for us. But in that transition, Novo, that relationship with, with Novo really challenged us. We were kind of comfortable in just the relationship place And in a lot of ways, we felt stuck there. We didn't know how to go beyond that. We didn't know how to invite people into Discovery Bible Study or invite people into into more. It just felt like, you know how we wrestle with that as Jesus followers? You You can make friends. I mean, if you can, some people can't, but it's scary. But when we choose and courage to make friends with people who are not Christians or Jesus followers, we can stay okay in just that relationship. Like, you're okay, I'm okay, we're not going to challenge each other, let's just live here. I'll pray for you when bad things go bad, but mm. you don't really take that relationship beyond that. And I feel like that's where we were We were kind of hanging out as as a, mm-hmm. as a presence in Shasta Lake. So over the last couple of years, that's, that's changed. We're inviting people into a Discovery Bible study. We're using things in Novo 5Com, which I don't know if you guys unpack on this show, but... Really, well, you're welcome uh, to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's probably next season. Ultimately, <laughs> so give I'll us give a you, preview. Yeah. Here's the preview. <laughs> yeah. Here we five, go. 
Fivecom's awesome, and I'll tell you why. Um, Fivecom <laughs> dun, dun, dun. helps you identify where you are, and it also helps you identify where you can go. And I think that's where most of us get stuck. We know where we're at, or maybe we sort of know where we're at, but then we don't know where to go next. And so Fivecom, five components of a gospel movement are common in church history for rapid multiplication of disciples, making disciples, making disciples. And that's what we want to see. But how do we do it? So those five components are, are simply activating prayer, which is in our language at Heritage, it's asking the Lord, you know, it's asking, what is, what is God saying to you? Or what is the Lord saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? That's activating prayer. It's praying with the intention that you're going to receive something from the Lord, an assignment, and you're actually going to do something about it. You're not just going to, you know, be an intercessor and pray blessing over places and breakthrough in places, but not actually have skin in the game. Activating prayer is us actually doing stuff. And then that leads us into engaging culture. The second component, which is finding missional spaces. Where are places that I can be consistent in? For us, we've got a built-in one. It's called the coffee house. We are awesome at this one. We have um, no problem here. But we had a problem when it comes to the third component, which is making disciples. Mm. How do we move from stranger to acquaintance to friend and then invite that friend into discovery? And honestly, friends, it's just doing it. Mm. You just pray. And sometimes you feel good about asking somebody. Sometimes you feel terrified. But honestly, what we've discovered is people are like waiting for us to ask. And I've waited six years for some people to ask. And they're like, oh, man, I'm so glad you asked. I've been waiting. I just like, and I feel like an idiot. I feel like I'm sorry that I've been in the way, Jesus. You know, and so and then from there, yeah. making disciples, there are leaders mm-hmm. that emerge in you know, new believers of Jesus who become leaders and we develop leaders. That's our, our fourth component. And finally, um, we plant churches. And the idea is planting churches with new followers of Jesus, not just being the next cool thing. Mm-hmm. I kind of call it, you know, bug zapper church. You know, you got the really pretty light and you bring them in, you, you get them into a program. It's we don't we don't want to be the next cool bug zapper. That's so great. We're going to have to edit that part out too. <laughs> oh, man. No, no, no that's we're funny. No, it. that's really, we're really good. It. For sure. That's awesome. Uh, well, anyway, whether you keep it or not, we don't, <laughs> we don't want to be the attractional church that's, yeah, that's totally. taking followers of Jesus from one community and bringing it into mm-hmm. our community because somehow we, we made ourselves more attractive. What we want mm-hmm. is we want new churches with new followers of Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's the beauty of Fivecom. I appreciate what you're saying about that making disciples because that really is a sticking point. So, you know, for so many people we work with, it's like, yeah, I want to do mission. I want to reach my neighborhood. Da, da, da. And a lot of people can throw barbecues and we go to the softball field and play games and we meet people. And, you know, I can't tell you how many coffee, Christian coffee shops I know of and all of that. And then, you know, house churches, we're going to go back to the purity of the gospel, which is, which is all great. But man, for so many of them, there's that like, but are you actually making disciples? You know, that's such a huge chasm in a, in a lot of those spaces. So yeah, I really appreciate what you're saying. It's just asking. Mm -hmm. It's really Mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit that does it. We struggle with that too. Like, like we've been engaging neighbors and all this stuff. And then how do you get from being friends to Hey, you want to meet Jesus? 
Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, my funny story is my neighbor that we've been, she's been kind of maybe like our person of peace, right? Like that entry point. She came up to me and she was like, I really feel like I need to go back to church. Could you come with me? <laughs> So, wow. so I was, Dan and I were joking. We were like, well, that was an easy serve. <laughs> <laughs> he just he laid just it gave up us for a you. Freebie. He was like, you're really struggling. I'll just let you have this one. But, yeah. you know, I think the, the cool part about that, too, is she knew that she could share that with you. And that's really yeah. the relationship piece that's so important. Mm-hmm. So you start a heritage, you're building that relationship. You spent five years kind of figuring it out, you know, trial and error. Some things worked, some things didn't. You really began to hone in on the five com making disciples. Mm -hmm. So today, what does it look like? Yeah, I probably didn't clarify that, did I? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What we do is we treat our baristas, they're all Jesus followers, but it's a ministry position. And Mm. we treat them as a micro church of friends. And so Mm -hmm. We have our weekly meetings, and in those meetings, partly it's a, it's a ministry time just to share what the Lord's doing in our lives, maybe identifying certain customers in the coffee house that they really feel led to either pray for or engage in more conversations or invite into Discovery Bible study. And then we talk about, you know, making sure that you turn off the lights before you close the shop and all that other fun, fun stuff. So we're, we're kind of trying to create that missional space, which is our coffee house. Also, we're using it as a way to engage people, engage culture, and we're using it as a way to invite people into the discovery. And then we also, I guess we work with two tracks would be the easiest way for me to identify this. Being a coffee house puts us in proximity to lots of people all the time. I mean, mm-hmm. tens of thousands of people every year come through. And some of those people we become friends with. Some of those people don't know Jesus. And that's kind of the first trap. And so oftentimes our baristas are engaging those people. Sometimes it's pe- friends that Sarah and I make or other folks that aren't on our staff that are just in our community. And they all connect with folks in the space. And so it's kind of identifying where we're at in the five com with not yet followers of Jesus as we engage them in that space. The other track of people that we walk with are already Jesus followers, but maybe they're a little bit disconnected from the church. Maybe they're disillusioned. Maybe it's kind of like anywhere, just kind of wandering. So Sarah and I have a a weekly gathering we call Huddle, and it's for people who are already Jesus followers who want more and don't know how to get there. And so we, we, we're both ministering to the lost in the sense of the not yet followers of Jesus and another version of lost in the sense that kind of aimless mm-hmm. followers of Jesus who, who just need discipleship. And so, mm-hmm. Daniel, like you're saying, you know, it's, it's recognizing that somebody crossing the line of faith is such a huge victory, but it's not the end of the story. Um, discipleship, mm-hmm. that's the whole story. It's the beginning and our end. Like we we start discipleship and we end discipleship when we're with Jesus, like at the end of our days or when he comes back. But everything in between is an intentional pursuit. We've really built this kind of organic, messy thing in a coffee house that helps kind of reorient and focus people back towards that big idea of discipleship. Mm, Awesome. Awesome. So if we were to step back a little bit from the heritage story, 
and just kind of uh, your experience, your understanding of, you know, uh, decades of, of church involvement and, and experience and in some ways expertise. What do you think are some barriers that are keeping people from mission outside the walls? And I think to that question, I would add, in your case, and something that Kristen shared, that are keeping people from thinking missions is somewhere else. Like, what are those barriers that you see? Yeah, I think of a picture, Finding Nemo, right? Mm-hmm. You got the fish in the aquarium in the dentist office, and that, that aquarium, you can look out the window and see the ocean. The fish in the aquarium are very content. They can see out, they can see the bigger ocean where they came from, but they're also feeling very safe and satisfied in this aquarium, which is a good option, but not the best option. And I feel like culturally, as the body of Christ, the church, we can often, I think what's familiar with us is the aquarium, it's the Sunday service. I don't think that's bad, but I I think that it's also not enough. It's not everything. It's not the ocean. You know, God calls us outside of that aquarium into something limitlessly bigger. So if I said a barrier, Hmm. I almost say the word, I want to say the word humility. I want to unpack that a little bit. Christians in general, we're very well educated. We're very well informed. Information is not the problem. I think the problem is our action. But it's also, so humility plays a role in that in the sense it's like, I need the humility to understand that knowing's not enough. I actually need to do something. I have more to learn, not by receiving information, but I actually have a lot to learn by doing. And for some reason, humility, a lack of humility seems to get in the way of that. We're running with a lot of young leaders. And so this is kind of where I'm finding an impasse is, oh yeah, I've been to Bible college. I've been through this, you know, program. I've been through this. So I know all that stuff. I'm like, I know you know that stuff. You know, it's like knowing Jesus. I know we know Jesus. We can have a knowledge of Jesus. Satan knows Jesus, but do you know Jesus? You know Jesus in your heart. And I feel like missions is really critical to that shift in your thinking because missions is doing. Missions is action. It's it's seeing your neighbors as people that the Lord could be calling you to. And again, that takes another level of humility saying, oh, I actually need my faith this is where the, the crisis point becomes really, really clear. It's when our faith actually requires something of us, where it comes at a cost. And being a Christian doesn't mean that I just attend something where I receive information, but being a Christian means that I let that faith change my life. I let that, I surrender my house, I surrender my cars, I surrender my comfort, I surrender more and more to the Lord and hold less for myself. But in our culture and our our need for comfort and more, it just seems to get in the way. Mm. And so I have to say, we do have a lot of success in inviting people into more when we we get somebody out on a prayer walk or when we get somebody, you know, on a short-term missions trip or a visions trip to a local expression of what the Lord's doing in, in the United States. We're getting ready to do a trip to Colorado. And I'm super excited to take my team there because I know that they're going to see other active people surrendering their lives to what the Lord's calling them to. And that's going to, that's going to make a difference in the lives of our community. That's going to spur them on to love and good deeds. Hmm. 
Yeah, that's so that's good. Really good. Thank you so much. If you could give a word of wisdom, encouragement, maybe a prophetic word to the person who maybe is in the aquarium, that's such a great analogy, uh, is in the but wants to get in the ocean, or the person that sees that, you know, we're not throwing the Sunday morning worship service under the bus. We're just saying there's more than that, that wants to start something. Maybe they want to do coffee. I don't know. What would your word of encouragement to them be? Uh, Do it. (laughs) Go. (laughs) Nike, right? Just do it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think, uh, you know, that's such a great question. Ultimately, you know, we've had folks in our community go, oh, you guys have to write a book about this. And ultimately I'm like, I, I don't know what to say, but follow Jesus. No, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. that Mark chapter one where, where Jesus ca- gathers, calls his disciples. You know, he says, follow me first thing, second thing, and I will make you fishers of men. I think it's so important to have a relationship with Jesus and we can only be motivated when we have that. Don't just go without your primary call, which is to follow Jesus. And I think like my story of how he wooed me from that fear of missional activation, he wooed me from a fear. I never thought I'd start a business. I never thought I would do anything of that sort to, yeah, I'm, I'm so far off the map of my expectations when I was younger that the only explanation is, is because Jesus led me and he led me out of, at a pace that I was willing to say yes to. Hmm. Mm, good stuff. Yeah. Focus in on that, that relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Stuart, for joining us. Thanks for having me. Please. You have to, you have to write a book. I'll buy it in triplets. <laughs> um, well, yeah. it, give it to everyone I know. And man, many blessings on you and heritage and all that you're doing. And mm-hmm. let's say someone uh, was kind of moved by your story and maybe they have their own ideas of coffee and doing something, how, how might someone contact you? Yeah, that's um, easy. We have a website, heritagecoffeehouse.org. And that's basically the gateway to everything. You can connect into our Facebook page. And if you're interested in our Facebook page, it's Heritage Missional Community. Either of those places are great. If you're interested in learning more about our story, we do have a podcast. Yeah, plug it. Yeah, reclaiming authentic discipleship. It's easy to remember because it's rad. <laughs> you know they there don't use go. that word anymore. I don't know. Maybe when we were younger, I still use that yeah. word. Oh, okay, it. all right, all right. Well, you're you're cool. All right, Californian <laughs> man. It's rad. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. Well, thanks again, bud. We certainly appreciate it, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, maybe we'll we'll have you on in the future and and share a little bit more about discipleship and kind of how you guys do that. So yeah, that'd sure. be super mm-hmm. fun, Kristen. We did it. Season three, that's a wrap. That's a wrap. Did you ever think we'd have three seasons? No, no. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. And the people we've had on have been... Incredible people, for sure. Incredible, incredible, incredible people. Um, Mm -hmm. We will do a season four, I think, Mm -hmm. coming up in 2022 sometime. Not quite sure what the theme will be. Uh, This season, we did a uh, little survey, I think, honey. Mm -hmm. You put a survey out for people. Mm -hmm. So be checking out our Facebook site for the survey, and we'll try to put a season out there that 
people are interested in. So, honey, can you bring us on home? All right. Well, thanks for joining us on this episode of Only on a Sunday and for listening to season three of our show. If you've enjoyed the content offered on these podcasts and would like to support us and our team, we would love to invite you to donate at scvunderground.org. And we truly, truly appreciate any support from all our listeners. Thanks again for joining us and we will see you for the next season. Bye. Bye-bye.